I love going to Urban Dictionary every so often. Love it. We just make up terms anymore. Anything you want, I guess. I used Urban Dictionary to search for the term ungoogle. Ungoogle. And it's defined as when you Google something you wish you didn't. Have you ever ungoogled something? I don't know. I can't think of a good example. I was thinking about recently, we were talking about weird types of Pringles flavors. Remember that? Oh, yeah. I wish there were some of those I could ungoogle. Most of those I wish I could ungoogle, probably. I get the need, though, to have that term, to ungoogle something. It's hard to do because, uh, I mean, back in the day, you could just not get a search result. So I guess now you get something for everything, which does lead to the fact that uh, maybe you wish you didn't get it. You know, interestingly enough, the failing to get a search result is actually a term in Urban Dictionary, too. It's called ungoogleable. I don't think that's possible. I wish we still lived in that day where you couldn't find something on the internet. Maybe we could put an un, uh, like have a filter on Google that says, please make my search results ungoogleable. Welcome to Touchpoint, a podcast dedicated to discussions on digital marketing and patient engagement strategies for hospitals, health systems, and physician practices. In this podcast, we'll dive deep into digital tools, solutions, and strategies that are impacting our industry today. We hope to share a lot of great information with you and have fun along the way. Thanks for joining us. Now, here are your hosts. Welcome to episode number 319 of Touchpoint. I'm Reed Smith. That's Chris Boyer. Chris Boyer, number one search result when you search my name on Google is my website. Good for you, man. Good for you. For me, it's just a lot of law-related stuff. Well, you you might say then you're kind of ungoogleable. Yeah, and the older I get, the more I don't mind it. <laughs> just fade off into the distance eventually. <laughs> well, thanks everybody for joining us for another week of Touchpoint. I think we got a good one today. Uh, before we do, though, quick plug for the website touchpoint.health. That's where you can go to learn more about the show, certainly, but check out uh, previous topics that we've covered as well as sign up for the TPS report. TPS report is a email that comes out every Monday. Five articles to start your week. That's all it is. Doesn't cost you anything. Just uh, make your way over to the website, give us your name, your email address, and you will start receiving one email Monday morning, five articles to hopefully kind of get the uh, the juices going on Monday morning. So we'll give you a, a minute to go do that. We'll pause here for a quick break and then be back with today's show. Chris, in today's digital age, your online reputation, as we all know, is crucial. With customers relying on online reviews, your first impression is also compared directly with your competitors. Sure is. And Reed, consider this. 86% of patients today read online reviews and 73% demand that that healthcare provider has a minimum four-star rating. Demand. They demand it. Yeah, they do. Well, to stand out, choose reputation to help amplify your brand and to build trust. Be the provider of choice in your area, understand patient sentiment, get actionable insights, and even foster patient loyalty. And look, here's the easy way you could do that. All you need to do is go visit reputation.com slash touchpoint. That's reputation.com slash touchpoint, where you can download their healthcare online reputation management guide and build a reputation that performs for you. 
So today, Reed, we're going to ask the question, are we in the industry ready to un-Google? And when we say that, we're not talking about the Urban Dictionary definition of un-Google. We're actually talking about, are we, as digital marketers, going to be start moving away from Google products? Oof, what would we spend our time doing? That's a good point. Because when I, when we started thinking about this, we were we kind of actually thought about all the different Google products that we use in our job right now. Let's just kind of recap where we're at. Search engines. I mean, that's an easy one, right? We spend a lot of time. I say we spend a lot of time. We at least talk about it. I don't know how much time we spend, but on our SEO strategy. So we try to optimize in search. Yeah, you might say that we only try to optimize against Google for that matter, right? Because... You know, what other search engines really are there out there that we need to worry about? And and related to that is the Google AdWords. I would argue that the bulk of our digital advertising right now is in Google AdWords, in the Google AdWords spend. When you look at your digital advertising budget, does that seem right? Yeah, it does. And as a quick aside, maybe I should make this my recommendation for the week, but I'll go ahead and say it here. So for the next week, I just challenge everybody to simply uh, replace Google with Bing in competition. <laughs> see how that goes. Just uh, ask somebody to Bing it and see if uh, <laughs> they even know what you're saying. <laughs> that could have so many other connotations if you think about yeah, it. Yeah. yeah, so search engines, big deal. Yep. And Google AdWords and Google listings, business listings, right? I mean, for reputation management, those are, that's kind of important. And many of our, uh, you know, the reputation management tool we use, that's what they, the primary listings are scrolling on are Google business listings. Yeah, absolutely. Analytics, which we'll get more into in the show, but that's obviously something that we've, you, everybody's used for, for a lot of years and things like Google Drive, right, with the shared docs and, you know, some of the workplace stuff as well as, you know, a couple of things maybe we don't think as much about, like the browser, like Chrome or, or even, uh, we talked about AdWords a second ago, but like YouTube, you know. Yeah, YouTube, yeah, right? YouTube. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You might say that Google kind of has a monopoly or, or maybe that's too much strong of a word, maybe a strong influence on the things that we do and some of the strategies we drive in digital marketing. Mm-hmm. And I don't know about you, but that kind of gives me pause if you sit back and think about that, because a lot of these services, they're offering to us for free, and that's why we're using them. AdWords, not so much, but listings and analytics and all that stuff is kind of free to use. So is this going to last? Is Google, like our 10 years from now, we're going to look back and go, oh yeah, remember when we Googled things? Like, like we say now, remember when we asked Jeeves things, you know? Oh man. Is this like clippy? Is that? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Oh man. Today we need to dive into this a little bit because there actually are signs that Google is starting to lose its grasp on us. Well, let's start out and let's talk about kind of the things that most people think about, right? The search engine and, and the AdWords side of the equation. Yeah. SEO is such a big topic. Mm-hmm. To your point earlier, it's hard to divorce the two, you know, the product of Google and the idea of search engine optimization. So we're recording this about a week after Google on the heels of Microsoft Bing announced a new AI-driven search engine called BARD. Called what? Google Wave? 
No, called Bard, like as in, I guess, Shakespeare, the Bard, right? That's I don't know why they called it that. And by the way, there are already a lot of issues with Bard and AI-driven search, but it caused the tech space to kind of spin around in itself when they saw these demonstrations of these uh, tools. So let's talk about that. And we found an article that we'll link to in the show notes from Forbes that really gets at the heart of this AI-driven search which is conversational search. That's what they're calling it. Conversational search. What does that even mean? Well, let's talk about that. So first of all, this article on Forbes kind of goes through and says there's a couple of advents, serious advents that occurred online that reshaped the way the internet works. And they believe that these generative AI search engines are going to be the next big shift in everything. Do you want to do a quick like recap of like where we've been, what the past has been? Yeah, kick it off. So the internet browser was one of the first things that they said, kind of organized things in a way to make it more easily accessible by an average person. There was a time when there was no internet browser. This browser is still the dominant way we search the web. Can you imagine that? Like, what did we do before the browser? We went to C prompts, right? And we typed in things, I guess. I don't know. Are there like message boards? Like I think you went to Usenet sessions and you know you had to like actually write code way back in the day, right? I mean, this is before my time. Yeah. Well, um, okay, so browsers, uh, then uh, search engines. So instead of they say in here instead of manually inputting links into browser windows uh, are going from a link to a link to a link. You could type in what we now know to be keywords and then uh, that would match it up and return information. That sounds like a big momentous thing. Another big moment is when uh, we transition from static websites to websites that are more robust, more interactive, right? Some of the things that we know today about, you know, being able to transact, to buy things, to search for things, to tr- to do business online. That was a big moment. Wait, when did you say that's going to happen? <laughs> uh, uh, I kid, I kid. Uh, okay, next, they call it Web 2. Is this like Web 2.0 or something? Web-based business models and services. Um, so, the social web is maybe you've heard of it. So organized more by friends and followers in the mobile web. And, you know, this is kind of when the, they say the internet uh, leapt into our, our pocket, you know, with like apps and stuff like that. This is kind of the age where we're in right now. And then the article kind of outlines that now we're being transformed again by instead of search, social, mobile, all this other stuff, it's going to be conversational. AI, conversational, web, all of this other stuff. You and I have talked endlessly about it just a couple of episodes ago, no less. But really, if you think about the new Bing browser and the new Bard browser, the reason why they're getting a lot of buzz is that it now infuses the ability for people to search through conversation, kind of like the chatbots on our websites. So measuring intent yeah, measuring intent. Yeah. So a good example, and this is one I, I, I heard a podcast this week from the New York Times. They were talking about, um, and we'll link to it in the show notes. They were talking about ways they use it to search for things. So instead of going in and saying ingredients for an arugula salad, the, one of the podcasters says he, he went on and it was, it was Valentine's Day. He typed in, my wife's favorite meal is French onion soup. What's a good side for French onion soup? 
And the conversational search engine said, well, these are various different sides. And it kind of listed out and showed them us little thumb cards, um, all the different types of sides that go well with uh, French onion soup. And one of them was arugula salad. And then his next search right below that was like, I got to go to the grocery store to purchase this. What should my shopping list be for two people? And the, the search engine went and looked at the recipe, redid it for a two-person recipe, and listed out the ingredients for him in the search engine. That's a whole nother way to search the web. I mean, we don't have to do anything anymore. Speak stuff into existence. Is that what's happening? Well, basically, I mean, this is the whole point, right, of conversational engines. But that leads to this whole concept of conversational commerce. Because remember, how does Google make money? By ads, right? By placing ads up. You type in words, you buy against keywords, and then you place your ad up at the top. That's the dominant part of the way Google makes money right now. In this new way of searching, it kind of turns it on its side. It makes it a lot different. Yeah, what does that do to ads? Right now, you're attaching stuff to keywords, right? I mean, for in the, in the simplest form. In the future, I like conversational commerce. Do, are we going to have? Is that a new role? <laughs> conversational commerce. <laughs> like it becomes harder to predict, you know, where to put those ads. I guess to some extent. Yeah, exactly. Because it's really now you, what you're doing is you're basically turning the way people are searching into a conversation. And it's going to be so much harder to use the traditional ways of placing ads in front of that. Now, of course, it could now be, in, I, I notice in this example, it shows thumb cards of the results, right? So there could be ways that you could sponsor your product at the top of these conversational search results. So if you say, what's the best side for French onion soup, maybe you were a maker of arugula salad, you could place your thumb card there as a sponsored thumb card. Sponsored thumb cards. Here we come. That could be one way to do that, right? If you think about this this whole concept around conversational AI, it becomes much more complex for SEO for search engines, it really it really starts to get around this whole point of how do we start to transform this? The article indicates, it says that, it says, you know, Google's race to dominate conversational search is fueled by two drivers of its business model, data and revenue. Right now, much of their revenue comes from marketing budgets, what they use to put at the top of search engines through SEO ads. Conversational marketing has to invent an entirely new model fueled by how search will transform. Yeah, because again, you're moving from these like finite searches to and therefore, like, you know, they're tossing here about it being more of a conversation. And that is going to be an interesting way to kind of interact with the web. And unfortunately, I think Bing has an advantage over Google right now in this type of work. Uh-huh. This could be one step of us moving away from Google as the dominant player. After the break, read, let's come back and let's talk a little bit about the potential impact or the potential decline of Google AdWords. Coming soon from Greystone, Bowstring, and Touchpoint Media, live from HCIC, a new podcast that brings you front row access to the latest innovative strategies that are shaping tomorrow's healthcare industry. In this 12-part series, as recorded live at the Healthcare Internet Conference, we'll hear from industry experts such as 
Paul Madsen of the Cleveland Clinic, Kathy Smith of Roper St. Francis Healthcare, David Feinberg from Mount Sinai Health System, Rose Glenn from Michigan Medicine, and many others. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or your favorite podcasting platform. This podcast series is brought to you by Greystone.net, Bowstring, and Touchpoint Media. So search is going its way out. Let's also talk about the whole AdWords model, not just the fact that you buy keywords to put at the top of the search engines, but the fact that there is a lot of concern around digital advertising, and it sure enough centers around privacy, data privacy. No surprise. Yep. Sorry, I was just making a note here that search is out. (laughs) So I found an article that's called Google Still Doesn't Understand What Privacy Means. (laughs) That is correct. Yes. (laughs) Or maybe they understand it too well. (laughs) and They're not addressing it. Maybe they just don't care. I don't know. Uh, Yeah, but I mean, again, they call out in here, which is what we're talking about right now, which is their primary business is selling ads. I mean, that's how they fund this whole thing. So it doesn't really matter if you're talking about search. I mentioned YouTube earlier. They even call it the the Google Store, the Play Store or whatever, which I'm like, does anybody use that? Is that a thing? But anyway, I'm sure somebody does, I guess. (laughs) But again... You know, this is the 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 trade off of quote unquote free. If you can't determine what the product is, that means it's you or something like that, and that how that works. Exactly. <laughs> so Google has an annual conference called Google I/O, and at I/O 2022, Google unveiled the latest solution to appease to more privacy conscious people. And the article calls it the dystopianly named My Ad Center. (laughs) Okay. So what this means is in the not too distant future, people that use Google will have a user interface and features they can navigate to customize their ad experiences. Hmm. I can't help but quote this article because the author continues on and says, only big G in quotes could think that anyone wants to waste precious minutes of their life managing which of the brands you love can track which bits of their data. <laughs> yeah. I don't, what in the world? I feel like this is like the, like, you know, can we send you push notifications? You know, it's like, no, no. no. <laughs> Yeah, so my ad center uh, should end up giving users more control over the topics and types of data they end up sharing with brands and other ad companies. Again, who wants to do this again? (laughs) Who was asking for this? I don't remember anybody asking. Yeah, well, and here's the thing. I don't know if this concept will fly with the users, but think about all of the different privacy laws and regulations that are out there right now and approaches to like stopping pop-ups and stopping ad tracking through Apple platforms and all this other stuff. Is this even going to fly and work in the in this complex world? Can you go to the My Ad Center and say, I want to opt out of any GDPR mandated rules and regulations? We don't, you don't even know, right? If that's how it's going to work. Chances are they're not going to be able to do that. Can I opt out of car extended warranties? Uh, <laughs> can I do that in the preference center thing? Or <laughs> I just, again, I don't, I don't know. This, this really doesn't seem like this is materially going to do anything. 
But again, they call it in here, which I kind of agree is kind of our point, right? That the onus shouldn't necessarily be on the user to figure out how to opt in and out. I get that. But again, how do people make money? Ads, data, et cetera. Google and Apple and everybody else for that matter is going to continue down this path until they just can't. Well, but, the, but Google's doing it in a weird way, right? It's like, why would they do... Apple at least says, do you want this app to track you when you're on their phone? And of course, I have never said yes to any of those. Have you? Uh, not on purpose. Yeah, exactly, right? But still, it's really about... This whole thing centers around the fact that everybody net, that works... On, that Well, I won't say everybody. Many people that are on the internet now realize that there are aggressive data harvesting practices, Google, Facebook, Amazon, et cetera. Yeah. And it's very hard to be able to kind of navigate that and let alone opt in or opt out of whatever you want to do. The level of data privacy that you want is A, as you said before, A, it's a myth because there is no data privacy anymore. And B, any kind of ownership that you have as a user it shouldn't be on you. It should you should work with organizations that trust you with that data. And unfortunately, many people are starting to distrust Google with their privacy, with their data. It's like everybody's going to do the bare minimum because they still make so much money this way through ad targeting, etc. So, I think everybody will ultimately comply with whatever you was asked. But again going to be the bare minimum like they're not proactively going to go just fix this issue unfortunately and this could be another brick pulled out of the foundation of the house that google built and start to drive us starting to un-google ourselves because if we if users start to not trust google are they going to start not trusting google ads served up through a normal way or through conversational search. I think that advertising is slowly starting to drip away, right? As being an effective platform. Mm-hmm. And in fact, we found just, I, I don't think it's related to all of this, but there are signs that the revenue is starting to fall in the fourth quarter of 2022. Search, ad network, and YouTube revenues all fell significantly. That's crazy, right? I mean, now granted it fell to 59 billion. So it's not like, you know, they're trying to figure out how to make payroll or anything. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, a couple of reasons, obviously the poor economic climate, um, so the CFO at, at Google said that YouTube slowdown is a result of both planned and direct response to advertising in a challenging economic state. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's not uh, good. Gosh, has anybody bought groceries lately? <laughs> I know. I'm like, what is happening? But, um, but in any case, I mean, I can I can see that. You know, they took a 3% hit there. Well, and Google is laying off people, too. YouTube is another one that's at risk, too. You mentioned YouTube earlier, right? YouTube's ad revenue dropped. And really, a lot of that is based on competition from, like, TikTok and, you know, oh, Instagram and stuff like that. That's also starting to take a, a dive. And it's particularly complex because YouTube is making aggressive moves into paying for rights for football games and setting up YouTube TV and all of that. And I think that's going to lead to another increase in YouTube TV. Yeah, I think you're a YouTube TV user yourself, right? I am. Yeah. Yeah. Like it, it works pretty well, but yeah, I mean, it's it, again, they call it in here, their, their agreement with the NFL 
and what's crazy is it's like uh, it's supposed to be like a loss leader to just try to like drive more subscriptions. You know, so it's crazy, man. I you know it's just uh, it's wild to think that you know the amount of money that's shifting this direction that now Google of all people is seeing a little bit of a backslide. Which leads us to something that I think is on top of every healthcare digital marketer's minds and something we're going to talk about after the next break, Reed, which is about online tracking technologies and the hss.gov guidance. But let's let's briefly touch touch into that after this break. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. All right, so now let's talk about what this means for all of us, right? We're talking about some of the data and tracking and opting in, opting out, you know, et cetera, et cetera. I think what's interesting is HHS put out uh, some guidance materials around privacy. And the actual piece of guidance is titled Use of Online Tracking Technologies by HIPAA-Covered Entities and Business Associates. So again, we are HIPAA-covered entities, you know, so we'll kind of set that to the side. So the use of online tracking technology. So when this first came out and you kind of see this, it really felt like this was about the meta pixel. Yeah. Well, particularly because this came out on the heels of the, all these articles and lawsuits that came out about meta pixel being used on hospital websites to track patient data. It was a way for HSS.gov to clarify its position around Metapixel. But unfortunately, after reading the guidance, it sounds like it's expanded to a little bit more and it's targeting another product of Google's that I would say virtually every one of us uses if you run a website at a hospital, and that's Google Analytics. I'm sorry, you broke up. You said Google Analytics. Uh. That's what I thought you said. Yeah, that's unfortunate. So uh, it's interesting. I, you know, I've been with my web team and compliance folks internally or whatnot, kind of going through the, you know, what does this mean for us? Yeah, I think every one of us is doing that. I've done the same, right? As you read through this, and we're going to link to the HSS guidance, but we're also linking to an article that Fierce Healthcare put out shortly thereafter about the bulletin, indicating that HSS clarifies when pixel trackers may violate HIPAA. I actually think the word clarifies is the exact opposite of what this guidance has. I think it's <laughs> it's not really clarified. It's a little bit more nuanced. Uh, it's kind of actually hard to interpret. I don't know. That's my perspective on that. What are your thoughts? There's a lot of words uh, on these pages with footnotes and such. There's a couple of things that I think are worth touching on. So tracking users on authenticated websites, meaning that they log in before they can actually access the web page. And so I, we don't have a lot of this in the industry, I don't think, right? Uh, like outside of your portal, maybe? Yeah. No, I think health plans and I don't know, some other things that probably comes into play. 
we'll set that to a side. I think the interesting one is the unauthenticated web pages, which is basically all of our websites, right? Is it's, um, hey, you can just like go visit these web pages. And so can you track people via Google Analytics across these different web properties? That is a good question that needs to be answered. And as I looked at it, right, there was one particular quote in general that jumped out at me and that gave me pause. Here's what it says. Tracking technologies within user-authenticated web pages may even have access to an individual's diagnosis and treatment condition, prescription billing information, and other information. They indicate that it's a portal. But then they go on to say that a regulated entity must configure with any user-authenticated web pages that include tracking technologies to allow those technologies to only use and disclose PHI in compliance with the HIPAA privacy rule. What gives me pause on that, that could potentially mean that IP addresses are being now considered HIPAA protected? Is that, again, that's how I interpret it, maybe? Is it PII? Is it identifiable information? Like that's, that's an interesting argument, right? Um, because again, if you look on the HHS, you know, uh, site, and again, we'll link to all of this stuff when it talks about tracking on unauthenticated web pages. If you kind of read down into some of this, it's tracking technologies on regulated in, uh, entities, unauthenticated web pages that address specific symptoms or health conditions. Listen to this: or permits individuals to search for doctors or schedule appointments without entering credentials may have access to PHI for certain instances. So for example, they say tracking technologies could collect an individual's email address or what you just mentioned, IP address, when the individual visits a regulated entity's webpage to search for available appointments with a healthcare provider. In this example, the regulated entity is disclosing PHI to the tracking company vendor. And thus HIPAA rules apply. Right. So we are saying an IP address is identifiable information? Again, I'm not a lawyer. I'm a person that's been in digital technology for a couple of years now. That requires additional clarification in order for us to respond to that. I would think so. It's, I just, that feels really restrictive and I, I just, that's a, that's a tough one there. Two, like within, like we, using Google Analytics, we like the like the business or whatever, we can't see people's, you know, like, a, like an individual, you can go into GA and be like, there's that one person that came to the website. You know what I'm saying? Now, I'm not saying Google can't untangle all that and figure out, and that's where the problem is anyway. But it's just, I don't know, this is, just, this is strange. Like it's a... yeah. What do you do here? Like, I understand the meta pixel thing and I get it. We actually never had them on our sites here, but I understand that one. But this is a little bit different where you're just tracking web activity. Well, again, it's up to interpretation. And certainly we're, I, I don't want to come off as being anything against what HHS.gov says. It just, it's, it's kind of unclear right now. And the clarity that the Fierce Healthcare article said suddenly becomes unclear when do, is that what they mean is that the intention of what they mean and i think myself along with other people like you reed and others across the country are all stopping and giving pause to say 
does this mean the end of using Google Analytics as we know it? And it's really down to the fact that Google won't sign a BAA that says that they won't disclose this information. That's the reason why it's problematic. If they did sign a BAA and they did indicate to us they won't disclose this information, then they'll be compliant with this guidance. But I don't know if Google would do that with anyone. Yeah, that I don't know. Like I'm just pondering looking out the window here. Um, <laughs> so like I don't know how we would I don't know how you'd even pull that off. But I do feel like most of us, if you think about where people are giving us information on our websites, forms, health risk assessments, you know, those types of things is most commonly what people are typing into. Those are probably secure for various reasons, right? Like the, it's not just an open form on a web page. At least it shouldn't be. Oh man, there's just there's so much just like gray area here. Like you. We're all trying to figure out exactly what the right next step is, right? I mean, obviously, we all want to be compliant. We don't want to put ourselves, expose ourselves in any way, shape, or form. And certainly, the intent of using Google Analytics is not to use that to disclose personal health information. But if an IP address is considered HIPAA-protected data point, this could certainly dramatically change the way we, as healthcare professionals use analytics tracking and in particular Google analytics tracking. Yeah. And there's more to be said about this. We're going to go even further into this. I think we're all going to try to explore. I think all of us are trying to figure out how to respond best, but it just speaks to the fact that we may be moving further and further away from Google. We may be ungoogling ourselves. Oh boy. Who would have thought in 2023? I mean, go in the way of MySpace. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> Instead of Tom from MySpace, it's gonna we're gonna have like little avatars of Sundar Pichai from Google, who's the current CEO, <laughs> like show up in ten years. Yeah, Larry and Sergey are gonna be over there. <laughs> um, this is just the craziest thing. For those of you listening in. We'd love to hear your thoughts about this topic. Where is your perspective on all of these topics that we just talked about? And with that, let's you and I take another quick break, read, and then we'll close out the show. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify. The global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. All right, really cool, uh, cool show, interesting topic. And again, just to over, not to overstate this or maybe to overstate this, uh, we're, we're not disagreeing with anything HHS has to say. Mm-hmm. We're just, you know, you're kind of hearing our thought process around, you know, how do we interpret this? What does this mean? Like, how do you practically put some of this stuff into motion? It's interesting. And so, yeah, like Chris said, we'd love to hear kind of how you all are thinking about it, what this means to your organization uh, what kind of guidance are you getting from your legal and compliance folks? Uh, not so we can air it, but just be curious about kind of what you're what you're hearing and seeing. So, all right, uh, the Healthcare Marketing Physician Strategy Summit 
coming up before we know it in mm-hmm. April, mid-April, yeah. Yeah. Austin, Texas. Chris and I will both be there. What is it, the 17th through the 19th? Does that sound right? That is correct. The 17th through the 19th, Austin, Texas. We'll put a link to the website where you can go and read more about the overall agenda and and, uh, all the different topics that are going to be talked about there. It should be a lot of fun, Reed. I'm looking forward to not only uh, being there and learning more, but again, connecting with people in person, right? It's going to be a great time. Yeah, should be a lot of fun. Should be a lot of fun. So let us know if you're going to make it. You can also, if you may be saying to yourself, now tell me what that link is or those dates. Well, it is included in the TPS report. So yes, if you sign up for the TPS report over at touchpoint.health, you will get not only five articles to start your week, but a couple of links to upcoming conferences and all that kind of fun stuff. So be sure to do that. All right. Well, let's do some recommendations. What uh, What do you got today? Reed, I'm going to recommend something that you probably would recommend, but I'm going to get to it first. I was away on business this week. And uh, while I was away, I stumbled across Nate Bergazzi's latest stand-up <laughs> special called Hello World. Yeah. I'm sure uh-huh. you've seen it already. I haven't. I haven't. I've got it queued up for this weekend, matter of fact. So it came out on January 31st. It is totally hilarious. He's a funny comedian. And I'm telling you, very clean humor, just totally approachable. But his delivery, outside of you, I think he has the most flat delivery (laughs) that I've ever seen where he just talks about things, right? This special, I think it's like about, you know, 80 minutes or so. So just a little over an hour, not too long. From start to finish, it was a very fine-tuned stand-up special. He, he, the, his comedic timing and everything was totally hilarious. If you have Amazon Prime, then you have access to you know Prime videos. Definitely go out there and take a look at it. It just made me chuckle. There were some very funny things. He is the greatest. And he is it's super clean in the sense that like just anybody, it's very approachable. Anybody can listen to it. And so, yeah, I know he's your friend and I know you go golfing with him, but it's definitely oh, hilarious. Okay. That may be a bit strong. I don't know how. uh, Yeah, but we'll go with that. Yeah, we're friends. (laughs) So anyway, I recommend it strongly. Nate Bergazzi's Hello World special. It's on Amazon. I totally chuckled the whole time. I downloaded and watched it on the plane, actually. And I just chuckled the whole way. So it was great. Well, he's got a great podcast that I know I've recommended called the Nate Land Podcast that comes out every week. That's really funny as well. But I'm actually going to recommend a different podcast. It is called fly on the wall. Have you heard of this? No. So it's Dana Carvey and David Spade. Oh no, this sounds great. And it's, uh, the, the point being is, um, uh, it says be, be a fly on the wall. It's Saturday Night Live alum. And Carvey and David Spade take you behind the scenes to reminisce about the most memorable stories, moments, with friends of the show. In each episode, you'll hear from uh, your favorite cast members, hosts, writers, musical guests, as they share never-before-seen stories, et cetera, et cetera. So the point is, each week, Carvey and Spade have someone, have a guest on, much like Smartless, you know, which everybody loves. And they talk to them, but it's specific about Saturday Night Live. Now, they'll touch on the rest of maybe their career, like it's like Paul Rudd or somebody like that. But it's really about the times they came on and hosted or when they were a cast member or whatever on Starting Out Live. Uh, if you start with one, the, the live episode with Will Ferrell is spectacular. I mean, laugh out loud funny. Uh, again, if you listen to Smartless or those types of shows and, and you get a kick out of those, uh, this is another go into add. 
to the roster uh, fly on the wall. I like it. I'm going to add that to my list. Always in the mood of looking for a really good podcast that can make me chuckle. Well, very cool. Well, thanks everybody for, for tuning in for another episode. We certainly appreciate the support. Again, seriously, would love to hear uh, selfishly uh, kind of how you're thinking about uh, Google Analytics uh, and your organization as you're moving forward. I would love for you to reach out, but also uh, would love to hear from you if you got ideas for new episodes, if you've got uh, people that should come on the show, et cetera. And then certainly if you're going to be in Austin in April, we'd love to know that. So uh, reach out and we just certainly appreciate, uh, appreciate all the support. Chris Boyer, I'm Reed Smith, and we'll see you next week. This has been a Touchpoint Media production. To learn more about this show and others like it, please visit us online at touchpoint.health.